The Rough Drafts Podcast is sponsored by Unicorn.com, the world's premier esport betting site. Log on today to bet on all your favorite esports titles at the simple click of a button. Choose your game, choose your team, earn Unicorns, and who knows, maybe you'll earn enough to enter to win any number of fabulous prizes, such as Logitech peripherals or CSGO skins in their marketplace. Unicorn.com. Log on today. Hello, Internet. This is Chase Retcher king Wassenaar. I am a free agent, head coach, and analyst, as well as a contributor at Slingshot Esports. And welcome to our regional wrap-up edition of the Guest of the Lions Rough Drafts podcast presented by Slingshot. There are no more Lions to guess until that beautiful world championship rolls around at the end of the month. But we do have a lot of games to talk about. The European regionals. Went to a five-game finals. That happened, whether it should have or not. And, of course, we had the ever-anticipated Cloud9 Immortals matchup that we were all dreaming. And Cloud9 lived up to every expectation. And I, I think there were some other teams involved as well. I'm not, I don't particularly remember. But you know who I'm sure does and who would be willing to break it all down with me? My good friend and co-host, uh, Walter Ciedi Svetchuk. Walter, how are you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. You know, I had a uh, I had a fairly good weekend when it came to the uh, to the regional fi- to the regionals and, and to esports gambling just in general. So I feel pretty good. Thought I made some good bets, and uh, and the ones that I lost were were, were screwy little things and one hail mary. So I'm pretty excited. I had a good weekend. Yeah, you did very well for yourself. What what was your end up? How many unicorns did you end up making? So, total, I added this up last night, uh, about 1500 after I take out my losses. There you go, people. See, we, we have that esports gambling expert line on our Twitter bio for a reason. You can't lie on the internet. We keep trying to tell you this. But uh, we actually did pretty well on the podcast, too. We made three bets publicly available. We had the Unicorn above minus one and a half over Giants. We told you guys that on the podcast. That was a win. We then told you guys, if you followed us on Twitter, that we would keep up with bets. We had Unicorns of Love plus 125 over Fnatic. That was an easy win. And then we had Cloud9 minus 2.5 over Envious plus 120. That was also a win. So if you look at it, combining North America and Europe, at the end of the season, if you bet on every game, the way we told you to, you have 670 extra dollars in the bank. That is a net black season. I will take that. Granted, a lot of that because we destroyed it in Europe. Uh, $1,109 of profit there. North America, you guys need to let some upsets win every once in a while. Like I don't ex- know how you expect us degenerate gamblers to find value if you keep going by chalk. So... Walter, overall, how do you feel about our, our split of podcast gambling? I, I think it went pretty well. I think uh, I think towards the end of the split, we definitely figured out Europe. Um, and, and like you said, just because there were more chances for upsets and 
Um, you know, unicorns could beat anybody at the end of the split. The, mm-hmm. You know, Splice was playing very, very well. You know, Fnatic, obviously these these traditional powerhouses were falling off, so it was the gambling community didn't want to pull too much away from, say, a Fnatic uh, in terms of their value and in terms of being like, no, it's Fnatic. Like, of course they're going to be favorites. And you get these matchups against, um, you know, people like, uh, like a splice or unicorns of love where they're underdogs and there's definitely a chance. Um, having it best of twos also gives you two chances to gamble on it. I'm, I'm literally just looking through my history and uh, back in June, way back in June, I took uh, uh, two bets against uh, uh, four H2K over team vitality and made and, and paired them together and made 1200 unicorns off of it. So there was value there. You had a lot of options for combining the, the different series and not treating it as a best of two, but treating it as two best of ones. Um, so that was always really cool, and you could always kind of get in there onto one of the games. Um, well, and to be fair, the the way we ended up making money on this podcast, because we unfortunately usually could not tell you guys, oh, just bet each game individually and have it turn out as a profit. There were very few times where we hedged that hard. Yeah. We ended up succeeding when we finally just told you guys to start taking two O's because two O's happen, and we recognize that and the patterns there. Unfortunately, in North America, there just weren't upsets, so it was very hard to find value. Yeah, that that was that was the big problem was there there weren't upsets, and you were basically trying to predict what's going to happen in three games, and that's yeah. that's quite difficult to do is to predict. You know, these three games, two out of three times, this team is going to win. Um, it, it, it's it's fairly hard to predict that with upsets. And it's it's really hard when you're a, a bad team, when you're a, a Phoenix one-level team um, early on in the season. It's really hard to beat a good team two out of three games right then, right there. That's why I think we didn't see too many upsets in North America and why it was definitely more prevalent in best of ones. It's easy to cheese someone one game. But after you cheese them in game one, you can't cheese them in game two with that same cheese. So it, well, it was definitely more difficult for the the underdogs to win multiple games in a day. And let's be clear. The top two teams in the league dropped a combined 16 individual losses over the course of the split. So even if you thought that maybe they'd take a game, that was largely irrelevant. Mm-hmm. It The number of teams that were actually capable of taking games off of each other was actually quite low. And by the time that Phoenix one got there, it was too late for it to mean much for them. And at the end of the day, right, did did you want to be the one who was betting on NRG versus Echo Fox, even if there was value there? No, no, you did not. So it was either bad value bets or bad for your sanity bets and I think next split can't possibly be as lopsided as this split was because the two teams that were at the top throughout most of the season were so far ahead that the Lions were just no value or you have to take some extreme long shot that's not likely to come through. But I'm happy with it. I'm happy with how we ended up. You know who's probably not happy with how they ended up? Giants gaming. Woof. Can we take can we take bets on teams most likely to sell? Can we do that, Unicorn? <laughs> yeah. Can, where, where's the well, first team to change management on the board? 
Because they have been. Take, you have to take out Cloud9 Challenger because they, they actually have to sell. So, so Gamble, yeah. if you put every other team in the LCS on the table, what team is more likely to get sold first? Well, even if you add Cloud9 Challenger to the table, Giants might get sold tomorrow. <laughs> I don't know if there's anyone on that organization that wants to be here anymore. I mean, we openly saw things, you know, when when the scrim controversy was going on, which is such a stupid thing that we refuse to acknowledge it on this podcast, other than the fact that I acknowledged it right there. <laughs> but, I mean, Giants apparently were in such terrible shape from personal issues abound in the team that they could not practice. Now, I understand that, as Alan Iverson once said, we talking about practice, but all you have to do to have these scrim blocks is be able to have five guys sit in a room at a computer together and do what they're expected to do on stage. And the fact that they couldn't do it for a week probably told us everything we needed to know about what chances Giants had. I, I mean, were you surprised in any way? Isn't this kind of where it needed to be at the end of the day? I'm, I look at it and go, whatever. I, there's going to be blame. We don't see the problem is they say that, but we don't know to what effect is it? Is it that the five players don't stand each other? Does it even involve the players? Is it that the management mismanaged something and they didn't have internet? Like we know literally nothing other than giants were not practicing that week. I'm We've not going to hold personal issues, but they can lie. Yeah. Which is the other thing people don't remember when people put out press releases like this. So, I'm not going to speculate. I'm just going to go, they didn't do their jobs. They didn't, you know, practice the way they should have. They got their asses handed to them, as they should have. Mm-hmm. So, like, screw it. I don't care. This <laughs> this organization, obviously, is in disarray. They played, as much as that they ended third at the end of the season, they got to third because teams above them underperformed. Let's not forget, Fnatic massively underperformed this season. H2K massively underperformed this season. Team Vitality physically drove off of a cliff and disappeared and, you know, Thelma and Louise style, and, and who knows what's going on over there because that was a hot mess. That, so, that's true. I'm, I'm going to argue that H2K, I think H2K did the best they could do given that they had a player playing with tendonitis for most of the split. I don't think that's underperforming. I mean, let's face it, Giants won eight series 2-0. Mm-hmm. That happened. No yep. amount of, you know, retroactive what the heck is going on is going to change that. It's they they had some good things going for them, and it came around the fact that Knight was the rookie of the split and very and won the all pro for top mid laner in the region. In a region that is Europe, which we always joke about, how do they keep finding so many good, new, talented mid laners every year? So Giants did something right. They then proceeded to do everything else wrong, which is kind of the problem with Giants gaming, and we've seen it before. And honestly, given what we've seen from their management time and time again, I'm not convinced that it's going to get better. Mm-hmm. But... You know, as far as whether they'll they'll sell or not, I think they should. I think there are Spanish football clubs that are in the market. However, this is a team with two challenger teams underneath them. Mm-hmm. I don't I think they're in it. Like I think this team as an organization, I think the organization cares. 
I'm not sure why, but they seem to be very invested up until the point where it's getting their shit together enough for their players to actually practice before the tournament that could get them to Worlds, in which case all bets are off. So weird, weird series, weird moments from Giants. We're not, like you said, hard to miss someone that tried that little Mm -hmm. in a series. Uh, Speaking of teams that appeared to not really try all that hard, Fnatic also 3-0'd. Walter, is this the most embarrassing thing that's ever happened to Fnatic as an organization? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Even, <laughs> even when they missed Worlds, they at least went down fighting. Even when they were, like, you know, six in Europe, they went down, you know, and they went on that 0-7 lose, losing streak. What was it, in Season 4? Mm-hmm. They at least fought back at the end. This this Fnatic team, it was it was... They started pretty strong, they looked pretty good, and then it just slowly went downhill and just slowly, slowly faded into obscurity. And we've seen all the different tweets. We've seen the, the, the forgiven tweet about they shouldn't have put it in the hands of a 17-year-old. Don't know who he's referencing, whatever. Daylor leaving, replacing Gamsu with Kickus, which there's two sides of the fence, and you're on one, I'm on the other. I just... The, the end of the day, we call the Fanatic organization the San Antonio Spurs for a reason. This was not the San Antonio Spurs. This no. never would have happened under a Popovich. I don't think this would have ever happened under a Daylor. I think if he had stuck around, he would have gotten their, their collective shit together, and they would have at least gone out fighting. But this team went out with a whimper. We joke about G2 going on the vacations all the time. These guys were on the on the – fairway on the eighth hole by the time playoffs started they were done they were drinking mimosas on a yacht in the mediterranean for god's sakes there's the girl joke about about forgiven there's reckless and the the, the reckless and forgiven battle like see forgiven's the catalyst of all this vitriol towards fanatic but at the end of the day forgiven's going to worlds theoretically and Fnatic's sitting at home. So if Fnatic wants to be taken seriously next year, they need to put up or shut up. And I think they're going to replace a bunch of people. I see that, that the manager is on vacation in Spain with Spirit, and people are like, oh, maybe that means Spirit's staying. I don't know it, why. It means they're trying to get Spirit to stay. <laughs> That's definitely I, a good recruiting pitch. Yeah, I, I could think of worse. I mean, here's the thing. I will disagree with your idea that Fnatic slowly fell off. There's a distinct mark at which Fnatic went from second place to losing seven of their last. Or there's a distinct mark from when they were in second place to when they lost seven of their last nine games, and it was when they got rid of Gamsu and signed Kikis, and originally were going to alternate him with Wurlib. Now you can alter. Well, you can argue whether or not you think that that should have had the moral effect on the team that it feels like it had, it's irrelevant. Kickers didn't play well. It was a bad signing. They switched up the roster, and ever since then, the team got worse. You can just actively point to the Fnatic organization making a bad move. And we could say hindsight's twenty twenty. I'd say that Kickers got benched in the first place. I'd say that we knew who Kickers was, 
and he wasn't a particularly great fit for Fnatic. And I think they panicked because they saw Gamsu as their weakest link, and they didn't think, you know, about the whole idea that the grass is always greener on the other side, and cutting Gamsu meant you could never go back once you realized Kikis wasn't working out all that well. But honestly, the tweet from Daylor that I found was the most interesting thing. He said, quote, Extremely sad the guys couldn't reach Worlds. Hope this end of the season is a wake-up call for some and a positive turning point for the rest. That, to me, is pretty clear. I left this team because there are people who are not listening to what needs to be done, and they need to have a wake-up call from this if they're going to be the players that I think they can be. And I'll put it this way. It's, you know, we don't know which one for sure, but one of them had a letter from Thorin telling him to man up and start playing like the player that he needs to be. And that same player has had a whole bunch of tweets about getting distracted by girls and having to delete a tweet about, hey, at least I have girls, like he's a 12-year-old in the lunchroom. Like, I don't... I, I think we know who this is. I think we know what the problem is. We know Yellowstar is retiring because God help us if he plays another season. I don't think Yellowstar can do that to himself or the fan base. I think Kikis is not very good. I think if I'm Spirit, I don't know why I'd stay. And Forbidden needs to get his shit together, for lack of a better phrase. Whether the girls thing is something that's overstated, understated, I don't care. Everyone seems to believe that he has significant issues as to mentally being in the game, and the drop-off is clear. But you know what? We have a lot more positive splits of Fabivin than we do negative ones. He's looked like an incredible player every split but this one. So it's not too late. And I'm not convinced that Reckless can't be a good AD carry when paired with a good support, which he did not have this split. So Fnatic tends to recover. Fnatic as an organization tends to be incredibly relevant when things roll around. Just not this year. And man, the way it burst into flames is just not going to be forgotten for a while. And and speaking of bursting into flames, Splice versus Unicorns of Love played a five-game series of League of Legends. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think that's the only place I can start because if I start reading what anyone on Reddit says about the series, my sanity starts to drip slowly out of me. So let's start with you, Walter. What did you think about this series? Um, it was a series of League of Legends. <laughs> um, I think it it definitely showed a lot of the improvements that Unicorns of Love had made. It really showed that they truly understood. They they finally figured out throughout the course of this gauntlet how they wanted to play and how they were going to be successful and how they were going to win. We saw marked improvement from all three of the, the newcomers on this roster. Um, and, and I'm not going to talk about Chachi and, and Hillisan very much because I don't think they improved as massively as they did in the spring. Um, I think they, they both played very well. They definitely showed innovation. They showed strong picks. They showed their strengths. They showed their weaknesses. Uh, and they're a good foundation for this roster to keep standing around and i know someone uh, a few days ago said oh wouldn't this be a great fanatic roster and it included chachi and hillisong mm-hmm. and 
I, I said, yeah, if you can convince them to leave. And, and it was Chakras basically was like, what? So, so here's my thing about that. Chachi and Hillasan are on Unicorns of Love. And Unicorns of Love have no expectations. We always, you know, look at them in the previews and we go, oh, you know, yeah. We never say, yeah, they're going to be there at the end. And they constantly prove us wrong. But I know when we look at the previews and we look at the rosters again, we're going to look at them and go, yeah, maybe they're the sixth best team in Europe. Well, it's that Breaking Bad moment of they can't keep getting away with this. <laughs> but they, they got are. Veritas and move to a regional finals. And, and so, so to finish, my point is basically they have they have low fan expectations. There's a, a there's. Not this high level of you're on Fnatic, you have to win. And they also have probably the most dedicated fan base in Europe. When, you know, we have people complaining, I can't hear the casters because someone's too loud in the crowd. First of all, shut up. You've never watched a real sport in your actual life. Because that's reality when you're watching broadcasts and sports. And I just don't, unless you offer them a godlike amount of money, why would they leave this organization that they've helped build and that they can you know, are pretty free to play how they want to, you know, as long as you're not getting relegated, they're, they're in a perfect storm here where sure. If they really truly want to make it to worlds and really truly want to win, they can't do it by constantly replacing, you know, their 80 carry, their jungle and their bid with guys like Veritas and move. It's never going to happen. But if you want to be a professional league of legends player who always has this kind of outside shot at making them, and you want to have this rabid fan base that I'm sure if Vizichachi ever walked into a bar and there was one Unicorns of Love fan, he would not have to buy his drinks. I can guarantee you that. Yeah. And, and let's be clear. You know, we talk about Unicorns of Love like there's some plucky young organization that's just trying to make its way in this crazy world of ours. But let's face it. They've been in the regional finals now. One series away from making it to Worlds two years in a row. That's kind of insane, given that they've only been around for two years as an organization. They made it to the spring finals their very first year in the league and took Fnatic to five games in that series. I think if you ask Unicorns of Love fans, that subreddit had huge expectations because they believe in Sheepy, they believe in the system, they believe in Visit Chachi and Hillisang. And honestly, it's one of those things that I used to love about Rocket is that there was a core of guys that stuck together no matter what, and you could count on them because they saw we're this close, we're just missing these one or two other pieces, and we can get there. And I think what this series taught us is they can do it with Exile. I believe Exile can be enough, depending on the meta. I think Veritas is going to be a hard sell, and I think Move is going to be a hard sell. I think the joke that was going around on Twitter is, why isn't Move building a Rylize on Nidalee? It's such so great for slows, to which the answer was, oh, because he <laughs> yes, never hits the spears yes. anyway. Yeah, so, yeah, which, which, which was both hilarious and entirely inaccurate performance of, of his play style. So I think that those two things are things that the Unicorns of Love will have to look at. But Sheepy had them prepared. It was a back-and-forth series. Yep. But back and forth does not mean good. Can we just dispel that notion that back and forth? I saw so many people you know, on Reddit going, oh, my God, what a great series. What a fantastic series. It wasn't a fantastic series. Game three was one of the worst games of League of Legends I've seen in a long time. And I had to watch Giants and Fnatic just in this tournament alone. 
I don't. I mean, do we feel good about Splice getting this victory? Yes, no, I understand that. No, this 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 definitely showed some flaws. Yeah, definitely definitely showed a lot of flaws, and we and we knew they were not an early game team. Um, we we definitely knew they had weakness in the early game. They were not this team that was going to come out and you know run rush out over you in the early game with a lot of high intensity ganks and out farming you and early pressure on dragons and and everything, which they attempted to do. You know, by by putting Trashy on Italy, they they tried to do some sort of early game strategies and and try to extend their chant their their playbook. But at the end of the day, Splice has always been a team that it was about late game macro, and they need to play safe early on. And they had a lot of trouble tracking move in the games that they lost, which is what Trashy is supposed to do. Is he just tracks the enemy jungler? And, you know, that's what Trashy has traditionally done all season. He just tracks the enemy jungler, and he goes for counter ganks, and he goes for invades, and he tries to establish this really solid vision control to protect their lanes so they can get out of the laning phase, and they can get into this this really well-thought-out and really well-done macro game. And, and that's... Splice didn't necessarily do that this series, and... You know, I, I completely understand the fact that they were trying to get some extra practice in and, and trying to work on a different strategy, but... You know, it's they got to stick to what they know. And after after they lost game one, it should have been like, all right, like unicorns of love have actually three owed Giants and and Fnatic, and now they've taken a game off of us. Let's stop. Let's stop playing around. Let's just end this thing. And and they didn't. So, you know, at the end of the day, Splice did make it through, but it definitely showed some weaknesses. And that that early game is definitely going to be something that they need to work on. Uh, you know, going into this Korean boot camp and, and, you know, when they come over to the U.S. for Worlds. That's going to be their their biggest problem. It was amazing to me that they kept wanting to give Vizichachi, you know, second team all-pro top laner, the Shen. Just hand it over to him. Four games in a row. And those games they went two and two. And it was always a lot more grueling than it needed to be. I don't know what other matches Yamato Cannon was watching. I felt like that was a weird prioritization. I feel like there were a few games where they really did move away from what it is they do best and took unnecessary risks. And let's be real here. They should have lost Game 3. The fact that they were able to steal an Elder Dragon with Jin and that they were able to steal a Baron that ended up prolonging the game, and we're still down 8,000 gold after those two things happened. There's no way they should have won that game. Unicorns of Love lost that game. And Unicorns of Love fans, I understand, you know, you want to be happy with the progress that you made. Taking Splice to five games is an achievement. This is not to knock away from the growth that you guys have made. You've got a good core around you. I think you'll get better Koreans in the offseason, and you guys are going to look great. But Splice, man, you... If, we are, if we're going by a realistic how should this have played out for you, Splice should not be going to Worlds. They did not play like a Worlds-bound team. They looked like a mess. And it wasn't just the lack of team-focused play, though I do think not taking the Shen when your strength is team fighting is a weird thing to me. It was Kabi and Mickey falling back into some really bad laning habits. 
I mean, Mickey had a game where he went 0-8-7. That's unacceptable. The game four, that lane got bullied around. And it's not like they were playing against Forgiven. This was against Veritas. I don't... If you can't handle Veritas in lane, I don't have a lot of confidence for you when you start playing Chinese bot lanes or Korean bot lanes or even Taiwanese bot lanes. And that's all you're going to be playing because you're a three seed and you don't get any international wildcard teams. Maybe if you're lucky, you'll get a North American bot lane. Okay, good luck going up against... Sticks A or Aphromoo yeah. or... Sticks A or Aphromoo. Double yeah, lifter by and yeah, yeah. Good luck with that. I just—it's—it's it's amazing just how how far I'm swinging in the other direction on them now. Now, Walter, I will say this: there's a theory going around that says, "Look, they're a young team. They're a team that never played with this kind of pressure on them before. Maybe that got to them. Maybe they're going to go to Korea and boot camp. And because they're young." And because their brains are so malleable compared to teams that apparently have had more experience and therefore mean that they're less open to new ideas, that this is a team that can benefit a lot from the Korean boot camp. Is this things that we tell ourselves to feel better at night when we think about Splice going to Worlds? Or is this a thing that you think can actually turn some stuff around for them? I think I think if you ask this question of Yamato and, and Marty, Laser Chick and the owner, they're gonna give you the, the pretty stereotypical, like, oh no, of course we wanna win worlds. I think reality though is you use this as a as a growth experience. Mm-hmm. The organization has been around for a year. The the narrative that Riot kept panning was they were in relegations not six months ago. And they were, technically. You're right. They were relegated, you know, in the spring. And now they've made it all the way to Worlds. I think you use this as an opportunity for growth. I think you use this as an opportunity to see how your guys do play on, on the biggest stage of them all and under the bright lights and in San Francisco and, and potentially maybe Chicago. Um, you use the fact that you did finish so strongly on the split to go to some of these IEM events. And you just try and get as, as much international experience as you can. And then you look at your roster, you look and see if there's any places that you might want to upgrade. I don't necessarily think there are. I think they just run back the same five going into spring. And uh, you just keep trying to build and and grow on this organization. You know, Marty, from everything that I've seen, he's a very smart, intelligent owner, and he realizes that this is not a zero-sum game. He just had a team at the Call of Duty World Championships that, you know, was a European team, and Europeans are apparently not very good at Call of Duty, and then you get down to the final four. It's two European, two American, and two North American teams, and his team plays second. And he was, you know, he was sad that they lost, but he was off the wall that they, you know, got so far and they did so well, and was so proud that he wasn't. Only, they weren't, weren't only representing Spliced, but they were representing this entire region of Europe and showing, yeah, we can play, you know, console shooters with the big boys. So I don't think this is a zero sum game. I think the fact that Spliced has even made it here is a success i don't think you know even if they got completely wiped in group stages which i don't think will happen i think they can pull a game off of some of these other teams i don't think there's going to be anyone outside of maybe the international wild card teams that are just going to get completely swept um but as long as they they build on that experience and there's two weekends of of group stages and when you look at them week one where do they come back in week two and how much do they learn how well do they adapt and all these things 
you know, I think this is this is great for Splice. And I think it could have been the same thing for Unicorns of Love. Like, no one's going to say right off the bat, Splice and Unicorns of Love are winning a world championship. They are probably in the top five, eight teams that you think have a chance. But if they No, they're this, not. In fact, yeah. I would call Splice 14. I, I think Splice is the weakest team that's not an international wildcard team. The way they Maybe. played last week, there are significant flaws. I, yeah. I think Kabi and, and Mickey are the two that if you go in the offseason, I think you try to upgrade from those. Because I think though that those are significant flawed players that did a good job of growing enough that you can get some value off of them if trades were a thing that existed in League of Legends. Mm-hmm. Which I guess technically they do. We just never see them. But... I think that bot lane is going to get exposed in a huge way on an international stage. I don't see any any way of them being able to make up for that and play for the super long game mm-hmm. against Taiwan or Korea or China, who do such a good job picking on the mistakes that even Veritas was able to pick on in this series. And and at the end of the day, I, I do I, to get back to the the original point, the boot camp will help. They yes. will be smarter. They will play better Korean teams. And the goal should be to get as much information as they can, like any of these wildcard regions. They always say, oh, we want to go and we want to learn everything and then bring it back to our region and our region gets better. That's what Splice needs to do because right now Europe is not a very strong region. They're not. And they made a lot of mistakes in terms of which Koreans they imported and how they handled certain Korean imports and all these other things. Across the board, trust me, I'm a Rocket fan. I would know. Mm-hmm. But Europe needs uh, an injection here to, to get back to where they were. And Splice can go over there and learn some things and have that native team still be a threat next split and add in some much better recruiting of foreign players for the rest of Europe when you have a longer offseason. And suddenly... We can make Europe great again, Walter. I believe in this. <laughs> but we're going to move on to a team that you cannot make great again. Team Liquid. I wrote all of my thoughts about Team Liquid in the article last week. I basically don't think I could have been any harsher towards Steve or the rest of the organization than I was. And they proved they deserved every word of it. So... Congratulations to Team Liquid for being the least presentable team at the regionals in a week in which Giants played a best-of-five series as well after being unable to practice. Walter, do you have any thoughts on this team? Blow it up. Blow the whole thing up. <laughs> I mean, this is the thing, right? Like, like realistically, let, let's play the, everyone's favorite game show. Let's fix Team Liquid. We know for a fact that the original plan was Lorlo, Matt, and Dardock being the big three that they were going to build around. That was what they said on paper, which was already weird because it implied that Phoenix was not a part of that because Phoenix, of the players at the time, was the only one not named. The other person who was named was Fabi, who's clearly not involved anymore. I, I, Jinth doesn't seem to be a long-term solution. I'm just going to take a shot of the dark and say Arc Second is not intended to be their jungler. And that that might have been a last second panic move because they needed a jungler. Do you keep Lorlo in that? Is that a core 
that you feel comfortable going into the offseason building around? Or do we literally pull a TSM and just scrap everything? You'd scrap everything. Yeah. Absolutely everything. I would scrap everything. I would I would I wouldn't just like automatically release them and say, oh, go off on your own. Let, let me put it this way. I'm looking at the contracts for Team Liquid right now. I've got it pulled up. This is updated as of August 30th. So this is before the Dardock trade. Here are the players that Liquid have signed into 2017. So past, not, you know, contracts basically expire sometime after Worlds happening. Most teams choose sometime in November. So the players that are contracted beyond 2000, the end of 2016 contract year. Phoenix is contracted until 2018. Lorlo and Matt are contracted through 2000, into 2017. Bob Quinn, XD, and Painless are both contracted until 2017. Everyone else, any of the subs, any of the other Team Liquid Academy guys, Loco Doco, everyone else is expired in 2016. And technically, Dardock was signed until next, until next year as well, but he's been traded, so... The only LCS players that they have contracted are Phoenix, Lorlo, and Matt. I do not think that that core gets you into Worlds. I do not think that core wins you a North American championship. I don't think the management has been successful. I think you need to totally wipe out the management. And we, we did say, I think on the last podcast, that Joe Steve had moved to the CSGO team. Perfect. Whoever the current manager is that was making decisions, let's get rid of him too. Yeah. Get rid of him. Bring in a new person. Bring in a new head coach. If Loco Doku is coaching a League of Legends team that's not a maybe – no. If he's coaching a League of Legends next team next year, I, I don't I – don't know anymore i don't know why this guy keeps getting jobs because yeah you have a honeymoon phase at the beginning where he seems like he's a fantastic coach and then you know eight weeks into it he's gonna fall apart on you he's gonna lose his locker room and you're not gonna be successful anymore i don't understand why we keep giving this guy a job i and i don't understand when we got in a fight just last year piglet couldn't stand working with loco and then dardock couldn't stand working with loco and somehow Lokodoko keeps being the one who sticks around in these situations despite having never really accomplished anything with the teams that he's on. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. And for the record, this is an organization right now that has him as a head coach, two assistant coaches, a remote analyst and a regular analyst, two jungle coaches, and a scout slash planner. Whatever the heck that means. How do you have this many coaches and analysts and have the drafts that they've had this split? What are these guys doing? I, I genuinely, if ever there's been proof that the too many cooks in the kitchen theory works out, it is the fact that NRG and Team Liquid had so many people supposedly involved in making the team better and actively ended up hurting them well more than they helped. And you know what? Now you lost your most talented player in Dardock. Maybe he had his, his immaturity issues, whatever else. At the end of the day, he's still not a jungler you're going to enjoy playing against twice a split. So have fun with that. Good luck convincing Phoenix to stick around after the way that he seemed to be treated earlier. 
Laura Lowe and Matt, I, I'm not convinced on either of those guys anymore. It's going to be a rough offseason. See, for the, the, the thing that I think saves Laura Lowe and Matt, and, and I think they'll still be on the roster next year, is that there's not a whole lot of North American talent to challenge them for those spots. So I think Liquid, you get go get a new coach, go get new management staff. You have your open tryouts. You let Lorlo and Matt win their positions. They probably will. Um, but yeah, you need you need a new eighty carry. You now need a new jungler. You need and only one laner, of those can be Korean if you get if you keep Phoenix. I just the big deal. Why? And, why? And why do we? Phoenix did well this split. It. Phoenix had a great split. If you look at his north, if you look at his regular season stats, Phoenix was a top three North American mid laner. Guy did really well. This is not his fault. This is Matt fell off hard. Dardock stopped caring. Their AD carry was terrible. And Lorlo wasn't as good as he needed to be. I do not put any of this on Phoenix. I think I, Phoenix is the best player on that team. I don't and I think, think he has been for a while. I don't think you win a, win a regional title and make the Worlds with Phoenix as your mid laner. I don't think he makes the, the solo big plays that anymore i think he has very much transformed himself into the supplementary secondary carry i don't sure. think he goes but out if we're of gonna his- say that like senkux and ryu aren't those hard carries they got to worlds you don't need a hard carrying mid laner to get to worlds you need a consistently good mid laner who can hold his own against whoever comes his way and phoenix is that guy and they've had him for two years and they haven't made worlds no, you're absolutely right. And I, I just think, go at some point, he's not the guy. I I just for me, I think that there are a lot of people who were not the guy before I get to Phoenix was not the guy. I think that there's a reason that they rebuilt their entire original plan within one week of the regular season in the spring, despite telling us that we were crazy for thinking they would do a thing like that, just based off of the evidence that we'd seen at the time. I think that they jumped into Lorlo, Matt, and eventually Fabi, as as well as Dardock. And of those, Dardock was the hit. And the other two were a little bit of a miss, complete miss, and a total whiff. I think that's your problem at the end of the day. I you you can't whiff on three of your four new guys and have things go well. And when you pissed Piglet off enough that he didn't want to play for your main team anymore. I don't know. I don't know what Phoenix is realistically expected to do in this situation. I don't, you know, it's one of those things where if you put him on a team that actually gave a crap about developing him, I think he can end up being a very good asset to a team. The problem in North America is that you only have two Koreans, and is he the one you want? Well, he'd be a lot better than importing GBM was for NRG. We can say that much for sure, but... For the rest of them, they either already have imports or they don't want to use an import on a mid laner. It gets complicated is what it really comes down to. So the ultimate question really is not is can you win a championship with Phoenix? It's can you win a championship with Phoenix accepting that there's only one other Korean that you can get? And there I might agree with you that he's maybe not that good. Well, the the whole the whole let's automatically go get a Korean argument is one that we're gonna have to have in the off season because I don't necessarily agree with it. Well, I we'll see. I, I think North American talent has has its problems in their own right. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, 
we need to move on to another team that imported a ton of Korean talent and didn't have it really work out that much better for them either. Envious, they did me proud by actually winning a series. That was more than I could have hoped for when looking at how bad this team looked towards the end of the regular season. Do you have, I mean, where do you end your thoughts on Envious with all of this take, you know, after everything that's happened? I'm, I'm not very sure. Uh, I don't think Proxen and Ninja are consistent enough to be LCS level players. That's kind of where I come down on it. I think, and I think Seraph is a very easy, straightforward Okay, go gank the crap out of him until you tilt him, and then, oh, Envious can't do anything. If they're going to keep playing with Seraph, they need to add some supplementary shot calling to someone else, uh, potentially Hakuo. Um, but yeah, Ninja and Proxen are, are not consistent enough to be in the LCS anymore. And if you're going to replace them with two, two other Koreans, then keeping Seraph is, is a massive advantage for that organization. So, um, Man, I'm really surprised. I thought at the end of the season we were going to be looking at Lot and Hakuo and being like, yep, they're the problems. And at the end of the day, Lot and Hakuo were actually a pretty good bot lane. Yeah, that's a bot lane so. that can get picked up and imported. You know, I know Liquid's in the market for a bot lane that wouldn't require any imports. I think I try to outbid Envious if I can do it at all. It's certainly going to be interesting to see what Envious wants to do. They're an organization that has a lot of money from doing a lot of other esports, so I have no doubt that they will find a way to be successful and make further moves. It is something that I think in North America we are going to really have to see how that natural talent gets stretched because now that we've extended it from two to four years, there were a lot of teams that ignored addressing the problems in the challenger scene because, oh, we'll just keep importing European or Korean players. And now that that rule has been changed, we've got a lot of people that are going to have to fit onto a few rosters. And then there are going to be the dregs, the leftovers, the challenger players who we didn't think were good enough to really have a, have a shot at the LCS that now need to be put there because we need some North Americans to be there. And I'll put it this way. For every player that retires at the end of this split, there is not a player in the challenger scene waiting to replace them that will be as good. That's just not where North American challenger stands right now. So I'm very interested to see how they handle the offseason. I think that Seraph will be something they look at. I think that Proxen and Ninja will have to be taken under very harsh scrutiny to see if those are the imports they really want to stick with. My guess is no. But... We'll see what happens. We got to move on, though, Walter, to the finals. This was the most exciting series, or what we thought would be the most exciting series. I think Splice versus Unicorns of Love was exciting for all the wrong reasons. This one was exciting for all the right ones, mostly because I think Cloud9 stepped up in a huge way. And before we get all negative, let's talk about the Cloud9 side of things. How excited are you to see this Cloud9 team step up and make such a definitive statement as they did in the series? Um, Excited? Not really. It's, they made it. Congratulations, Jack, you fucking bastard. <laughs> um, yeah, they played well. People had the audacity to continue to allow uh, Impact to play NAR. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm disappointed that we're seeing the same three teams make it out of North America year in, year out. Um, it's not fun for me as a fan. It's great for the organizations, um, but I don't know. I don't know. No, nothing about this like excited me, and I was really. It's really more of a lot more disappointment in Immortals that they really underperformed. They really um, screwed the pooch. I feel like in in their in their play, uh, Cloud Nine had a very good strategy of really trying to focus down and and really take rain over off of his game, which was very successful. And uh, yeah, we get Cloud Nine at Worlds. Woo. <laughs> I'm more excited about Cloud9 at Worlds than you are. I, I think Impact is playing some of the best League of Legends he's played in his career. Even he says that he feels like he's a better player than he was on SKT. Which Absolutely. I mean, let's be clear. You've been playing for three years since then. If you were not getting better, what were you doing for the last three years? He wasn't but better I, on energy. He was, not, well, he was not better. He was worse last split. That's what makes this split so amazing. Well, and I think that says a lot about what was going on with energy and why they're no longer in the league anymore. But I mean, yeah, impact stepped up in a monstrous way. His NAR is downright terrifying. Medios has this Zach in his pocket. He continues to prove can be successful. He knows how to gank for his solo laners to get them going. Jensen can play Cassiopeia, which praise God. We saw a Cassiopeia player this regionals weekend i thought we weren't gonna get one europe couldn't give us one but cloud nine came through and gave us someone who actually understands how this meta works in the mid lane and can execute it which was great and and sneaky i think has returned back to some of the best sneaky era that we've had i mean he had a he had some gin games that were just downright dominant in this entire playoffs and now with his Lucian being able to be just as much on point in a meta where Lucian is kind of seen as a riskier pick compared to some other AD carries, I love it. I love what I'm seeing from them. I understand that I, I may not be the biggest fan of, of the owner or how the organization carries themselves in certain issues, but as a team, they're fun to watch. But what wasn't fun to watch was Immortals. And I know how I feel about the coaching staff. And I'm going to give your boy Dylan Falco one more earful later on in this podcast. But before we get into how poorly prepared they were for this series, despite having just played Cloud9 two weeks ago, I mean, what do we take away from this? How, what, what can we say about a team that has potentially top three talented players at each position across the board and still can't win a series when it matters most? Someone made a, a very good point. They are nine and eleven in the playoffs. Yeah, nine and eleven in the playoffs and in the regionals. Um, after being seventeen, twenty, it was thirty three and yeah, three. Thirty three and three in the regular season. Um, it it feels very like mid 2000 late 2000s mid to late 2000s philip rivers and the san diego chargers regular season just crush it crush it crush it but then when they get to the playoffs it's just they choke they somehow they choke um a very important part that we're gonna have to remember is every single one of these players contract expired this year 
They are yeah, all certainly. up in no it, it, on October thirty first, and Dylan Falco's contract is up uh, in the middle of November. Do you keep the same five together? I'm not sure. Um, if you're Immortals, I definitely think you have to keep uh, Rainover and Hooney. I think that's a massive thing. I think you probably have to keep Pobelter. You look down at the bot lane, Adrian's still really decent support. Um, they The weird thing is they were so willing to now experiment with him in a best-of-five series that they need to win to get to Worlds and not during the regular season. I don't understand that. Like, that is that is the thing that boggles my freaking mind. Why is he playing Bard? It's a very good question. Why is he playing Bard? I, I don't understand that. I don't, I don't understand, understand a you, lot of things. I don't understand why you go so far away from everything that has been successful for you. I understand that, that Cloud9 picks the karma away or they ban the karma from you and you don't really get him on the range champion that's good right now. His Braum is mediocre. His Tom Kench is mediocre. His Trundle is mediocre. His Bard we've seen maybe once or twice before this. I just – I don't understand it. I don't know why you took him out of his wheelhouse so heavily. It did feel like they didn't trust their win condition. Now, we talked about this before when we talked about Splice and their loss to G2 in the finals last week on the podcast where we said that it felt like they were very much playing in a way of, oh, well, we can't beat them straight up if we just play our best game versus their best game. So we have to try something different. And to me... That's not a a player issue per se. It very much can be. Perhaps these players just are lacking in confidence when they hit the big stage. It's kind of hard to believe that since Poe Belter, Wild Turtle, Hooney, and Rainover have all been to Worlds before. I just... It seems to me like they probably figured it out along the way how to prepare on a big stage because they've done it. So I don't think it has anything to do with talent. I think if you can, you run these five guys back every time. There's a reason they're as dominant as they are in the regular season. The excuses that get passed around are, oh, it was a patch before the playoffs, and they'd, you know, you got to give them a break because it was a patch, and you know, some teams just don't adjust to patches well. Well, what was the patch in between this series and the last time they played Cloud9? Tell me about that patch. Oh, right, there wasn't one. They just couldn't do it the second time around. Because Cloud9 adjusted to what had happened in the first series and Immortals didn't. It was embarrassing. I, I, I think that from a preparation, pick and ban, I, everything you could think of as far as this is what Cloud9 is doing, how do we react to it? I mean, fucking hell, TSM gave you the blueprint. They beat Cloud9 and badly enough that you should just steal those three bands and do it. You're allowed to steal strategies like that. I don't know how this happened. And and we're going to get to this segment in one moment, but I, I honestly just feel like this team let itself down. And I've said this every time that they've played in a series that mattered. Every, thir- you know, every semifinals, and now here we are, they can't stop getting out of their own way. I think it says a lot when six of those wins that you're talking about of the nine wins they have in the playoffs came from third place matches that don't really have that much on the line anymore. So either the organization doesn't know how to prepare for the playoffs 
or the players are nervous wrecks and someone needs to be in charge of that, which again falls on management to have their players ready to go. Or a player is such a head case that it's causing everyone else on the team to panic. And that's when you'd have to make a roster move. But all of these answers are incredibly disappointing. All of these answers to an organization that is as well-funded as they are, that has put so much time and energy into making these regular season talents, you know, these players that continually get first and second team All-Pro across the board. It just sucks. It's just a really sucky situation to see this team continue to trip over itself. And Cloud9 won this series, let's be clear. Immortals did not hand it to them so much as Cloud9 took it. But we shouldn't be here with Immortals. Immortals should not have lost on points because they should have gotten to one final series. Because seriously, how do you go 33-3 and in the regular season and not win a single semifinal series? But here we are. And, and that brings us, Walter, to the segment I wanted to close this on. Because I felt like there were a lot of games. We needed to close on a, an, on a lighter note. So let's talk about the worst drafts of the Western Week, is what I'm calling it. Because this regionals, if you just watched straight up and you were watching for really great League of Legends, you didn't have a horse in the game, there were some rough games to watch this week. I think the two, you know, two three O's in each region, a five game series between Splice and Unicorns of Love that just looked like a mess and Immortals tripping over themselves. It can be hard. So let's find some comedy by looking at some of the biggest mess ups that we've seen in the pick and ban phase this week. And we're going to start with the least egregious of the three, according to the poll that I did on my own at Red Shirt King. Twitter page. We got 79 votes. Third place, Splice, Game 2 versus Unicorns of Love. Walter, what's the first thing that stands out at you when you look at this draft? Um, I don't... They have Shen Sever Karma. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's usually not a great thing to give yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, it, it looks a little disjointed from Splice. Their their win condition isn't as obvious as Unicorns of Love's. Um, Splice really wanted this Gangplank versus Shen matchup. They were willing to play it, and they played it in four of the five games. I understand you want to get Wonder on something that's really strong, and without Nara, that's your best choice into the Shen to just kind of scale with him. Um, but also giving up Sivir and Karma is, is a huge deal. That's That's really puts Unicorns of Love in a great place where they can engage, they can disengage. Um, when you add in the fact that they're probably going to play Gragas and, you know, Exile is shown, I'm just going to play Rise this entire series. Like, let me do that. Um, it was just a really, really well done composition from Unicorns of Love. Really well thought out, really straightforward, great reaction to what Splice picked in band. Um, and Splice, it just feels very disjointed. It feels like they're trying to set up like this long range engage composition and trying to pick people off with spears. It, it just seemed very discombobulated and, and quite obviously splice didn't play it very well. And unicorns of love were able to kind of roll over them and, uh, and get their first victory in the series. Yeah. And, and for the record, this is the third because uh, third place of the three. And I think correctly so, because the flaws aren't as obvious as the two that we're going to get to. But let's face it, 
Trashy should never pick Nidalee on a first rotation. He plays Gragas really well. What is it about Move that makes him say, oh man, I better keep Move away from that Nidalee. I'd hate to have to not have to dodge Spears because Move can't hit any of them. Like, it, it just was such a weird thing to prioritize. You don't need to take Lucian in that rotation because they already took an AD carry. So that's basically saying, we don't believe that there are any power picks available right now, which, given that Karma and Shen were on the table for them to just double team with, because you didn't ban it like you banned the Shen in game one, it, it's just such sloppy mistakes. And then you end with Thalia, which... Okay, you've given them Shen, Karma, Sivir, and Rise. How is Talia going to be used to any sort of effectiveness? Like, what's the best case scenario for a Talia ult at that point? When they have so much mobility, so many ways to teleport across the map, so many ways to re-engage or disengage, worst case scenario. Talia just does nothing for you. And Rise had a very fun time in that mid lane as a result. So... This was more of a giving the enemy team everything they want while picking none of the things that your team likes to do. Because even in the best case scenario, Splay shouldn't be playing Nidalee. That's not how they play. Trashy's their team fighter. So that was that was the least bad of the three worst ones that popped up. The second one, it was close. It was 37% to 38%. The barely in second. Envious game three versus Cloud Nine. Oh God, Walter. Oh God. I mean, other than oh God, do you have any words to describe? Oh Cloud? my God, what what the <laughs> what are you doing, Envious? Why? What is this? What is this terrible, terrible, <laughs> terrible composition with no disengaged tank? Like, you could have went Gragas instead of Nidalee, and it would have been a little bit better. Like, uh, this was this was, this was was an awful composition. Thorough. Compound it, you put Jin mid and Varus bottom lane in what I can only assume was a, guys, we're going to get 3-0'd anyways, let's just have some fun. I, I have no clue. Supposedly, Ninja had been saying in solo queue that he thought Jin mid was actually sneaky good, to which every analyst either on Twitter, the NA caster desk, and anyone who watched the game said, no, no, it fucking isn't. What the hell are you doing? But, I mean, this is kind of obviously terrible. Top lane Cassidy makes no sense. No, no, no. Oh, top lane Cassidy makes sense against Echo. It's actually a very good matchup for the Cassidy. Is but, it? Yes, it, it is. It actually is a good matchup for the Cassidy. This is assuming that Meteos will never dive you once, which guess what? He did. Well, yeah. And it's standard lanes. And it's... where is Seraph going to roam before he gets to the late game? You're never going to get there against uh, current state Echo. No, he's supposed to be a split pusher. That is literally the, the, the point of the competition. Sure, but you can't push. get out of laning phase. None of this, none of these players, like what is Lod supposed to do in the laning phase as a Varus who can't move and now has to try to outmaneuver a Tom Kench? What is Ninja supposed to do in the laning phase against an actual mid laner in Talia? Well, yeah, they where they, is, they pick three losing lanes. You're absolutely correct, but, but the, yeah, but the cat the casting into the echo isn't the problem. 
The problem is that it after will, they pick Jin and Cassidy, they can't pick Ferris. <laughs> Let me put it this way. If it was Cassidy in mid lane, I would see that as being all right. I think in the mid lane, he, his laning phase is safer because it's a shorter lane. I think putting him in the top lane right now, it is far too easy to gank him, which is what they did. He went 0 7 4. It was a terrible plan. Proxen on Nidalee, they literally just said, look, let's just put everyone on comfort champions and we'll call it a poke comp. And they Nidalee's choose Morris and Jin as comfort champions for their AD carry in their mid laner. I'm. Well, I mean, I don't know how else to describe it. It couldn't have been a. I refuse to believe it was a plan. Here's, I have to believe that it was them saying, look, the players are nervous enough. We're down 0-2. Just put them on things that they feel comfortable playing. Because otherwise, this was an actual calculated decision. And I'm not sure I'm willing to face that reality, Walter. I'm not sure I'm ready to live in a world in which Envia said to themselves, we really believe this is the best opportunity to win a series. But that was only the second worst draft of the week, according to those of you at home. The number one worst draft of the week. Game two, Immortals against Cloud9. Which I'm almost positive comes simply from the fact that after getting destroyed by Impact in game one on his NAR, they decided not to ban it a second time. Walter, what are your takeaways from this draft? Is this the worst draft? No, I think the NBS one is worse. That's I think I think that's just blatantly worse because you pick Varus and Jen and you put them in the wrong lanes. <laughs> that's that's just that's just blatant stupidity. I mean, for what it's worth, the team comp wouldn't have worked if they put them in the right lanes. So they have that going for them. And we saw that here. Varus in the mid lane, Jin AD carry, Nidalee jungle. It's the super poke comp, and it doesn't work. Because you have Adrian on this Tom Kench. It's like, okay, so you have all these guys going from afar. Well, then what's Adrian doing? Because he can't do damage unless he's in melee range, and you don't want him in melee range because none of the people that are doing damage should be anywhere close to melee range. So now you have a support that's literally built to soak up the poke that you're dealing out because they're not a poke team. And as soon as they engage upon you, you have no front line, and you're basically screwed. Because even if Adrian saves one of them, it's not like Varus or Jin, whichever one doesn't get saved, has the mobility to live. Yeah, this this was picking this was picking Tom Kench to keep it out of uh, Smoothie's hands. Yeah, it was it was picking and it was picking Jin to keep it out of Sneaky's hands. It was picking a lot of things to keep it out of a lot of hands, and none of it ignore you know explains the fact that on a team that understood that their only way to win was to win the top lane because Impact had been so grueling and Huni was their star player throughout the regular season. Why are we giving him his best champion right after he proved just how good he is on it? And it didn't make sense. None of this draft made any sense. It, it's the reason why I believe that Dylan Falco should not be a part of this Immortals organization come next year. I don't believe he will be given to be to be fair. To be fair, Dylan was not the only coach to make that mistake over the course of the entire playoffs. Sure, but he was the only one to do it with the amount of talent that he had. And and when you look in the polls, people (laughs) TSM in the finals. I mean, sure, TSM got away with not banning Nar, but TSM also has potentially four of the five best players at their position in North America. And you can say Immortals does too, but then you at least need to build a composition with a win condition. 
and their game two composition had none. And you could argue that several of their other compositions, whether it's p- putting Adrian on Bard at the last second for weird reasons, mm-hmm. or whether it's the Yasuo in game four, because they somehow thought that the second time Cloud9 couldn't come up with a single answer to it. I, I mean, t- it, to me, it was just an incredibly bad series if you're looking for should we be bringing back Dylan Falco and whatever other analysts are on this coaching staff. He's now 0-3 in series that matter as a coach, despite having an insanely talented roster. And for that reason, I am going to go with the fans and say that is the worst drafts of the week. I understand that Envy versus Cloud9 is a worse, you know, if you're just looking at the, you know, point for point, you cannot do worse than drafting that composition. That was terrible, and every idea was wrong. But given what was on the line and the lessons that they had just learned from game one and and how smart that team should be, I hold Immortals to a higher standard than I hold Envious. So for me, them failing to that regard was them what was worse in my opinion. But let us know what you think. Uh, you can contact us in a whole bunch of ways. You can contact me at Redshirt King. You can contact Walter. Where can they find you, buddy? You can find me at C80s underscore LOL. And when they do, they're going to see this new profile picture I just sent you on Skype. Why don't you open that and tell people oh all about God, your lovely... Oh, my God, no! <laughs> no! Oh, oh no! Uh, it's the original, too. Oh, it's it's no. the TSM classic. No! Oh. <laughs> The very famous Loco Doco Snapchat. Oh, God. Ready no. for 3 0. No. From his TSM days. Oh. That's God. what you'll be seeing when no, you go visit I, Walter. No. no. At C80s oh, no. underscore LOL. God, no. No, 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 no. Thank you to Vince, uh, sl- the head of Slingshot Esports, for helping me pick it out. It was between this and the end game screenshot for when uh, Phoenix 1 took the final game. Uh-huh. Yeah. In the one series you dropped, but this was a lot funnier. We both oh, agreed on that. I know. <laughs> so you can see that and 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 Walter's love for Loco Doco uh, oh. every time that uh, oh. you go on his Twitter now. You can also follow the the oh. podcast itself at Rough Drafts Pod. Walter, are you are you okay? No. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Oh man. Oh. Well, think about it this way. Now you have a lot of incentive to do really well at the Guest Alliance for the World Championships, which we're totally going to do, by the way. That is a thing that we are going to make happen. We're not sure if we're going to stick to the same format that we did last year, but we we are not done guessing the Lions. Walter will have a chance for his revenge. But until then, I'm going to enjoy that every time I go on Twitter. Just like I enjoy it every time I go on to SlingshotEsports.com, our proud sponsors of this podcast. They host all of our episodes where we do write-ups and everything to go along with these things. Uh, You'll see the picture. I'll put it into the article so you can see exactly what it is Walter will be living with. If you haven't seen the famous picture already, which if you are around for season four for TSM, you probably already have. And it probably lingers in your nightmares to this day. So... Trigger warning there, but there are tons of things that won't give you any trigger warnings, like 
for example, all the awesome things that Andrew Kim does out of Korea or the amazing article they did recently on the rise of individual regional smash scenes, all of which, uh, you know, it's just some really great stuff across the board. If it's a game that you enjoy, you're probably going to find some great writers that are breaking it down and giving you the kind of content that that you'll really appreciate. So go to slingshotesports.com. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast. You can find us on soundcloud.com slash esportsroughdrafts or on iTunes if you search under the podcast section for Rough Drafts. You can subscribe on either of those places, leave a comment or a review. Uh, it means a lot to us, and it does help with all the algorithms. And come back on Saturday. We are going to live record our reactions to the group stage draw. We're not sure if we're going to stream it. We're trying to make that happen, but we don't know if the timing is going to work out. Please stay tuned to the Twitter accounts, either our personal ones or the main Rough Drafts Pod Twitter account. We will let you know if it's live. Regardless, we are going to record it and upload it unedited as soon as the draft wraps up. So you will get our immediate thoughts on the group stage. And from there, there's going to be a lot of fun content coming your way, people. It's world's time. We've been preparing to give the people what they want, and we're planning on doing just that. So until next time, goodbye, Internet.